Hello and welcome to the Like a New Day podcast. My name is Zachary Brannigan. I'm a photographer based in Michigan. And uh, this show is all about photography, creativity, and Leica cameras. So stay tuned. Hey everybody, it's good to be back for another episode of Like a New Day. Uh, my name is Zach, as the intro just said. Uh, this is something new I'm getting used to here. I uh, purchased a little podcasting deck from Rode uh, called the Rodecaster Pro, and uh, it's neat. I got a little pad here with uh, some my theme song intro, some uh, break transitions, and some, some sounds. So uh, this is pretty neat. Uh, the challenge is going to be that uh, I don't know how to use it yet, so uh, hopefully this comes out okay and my recording levels are all right. So please uh, let me know. Uh, please send me an email or something like that if you are interested in uh, giving me some feedback on how this sounds and uh, let me know if the volume and everything comes across okay on your uh, device of choice or over Apple CarPlay or however you listen to this. But um, anyway, uh, I just thought investing in something, a dedicated platform that's uh, more or less idiot proof uh, because I tend to be in all things audio kind of an idiot. Uh, this is going to give me a little bit more flexibility and uh, a little higher production quality, I hope. Um, anyway, uh, the uh, the other thing that's really good about this is that it has a really nice dedicated um, uh, interface for calls. So putting in an iPhone via Bluetooth or a direct USB connection or through uh, Skype or Zoom or something on your computer, I should be able to have a much easier time doing calls. So I haven't had anything like that yet. I haven't had additional guests. I can actually have four in-studio mics and four monitors on this too. And that's cool. I've got uh, a couple of local friends, local photographers that I'm going to have on here. My buddy Dave and uh, my buddy Trevor, uh, both of whom are Fujifilm shooters, both of whom uh, are real good and close friends of mine, and uh, they both are interested in uh, photography, creativity, and all that stuff. So I think you'll enjoy uh, having them on. Uh, and uh, that's going to be coming up soon, probably in the next few weeks. Also, uh, we have uh, some things planned with uh, some call-in guests or some uh, long, long-range long interviews. Uh, I've talked a few times about Taylor, the, the, the individual that reached out to me, and we talked about uh, her struggle with depression and PTSD and her... Uh, her pursuit of a Leica Q2. So she and I have been staying in touch. And so I thought it'd be great to have her on and talk about um, her life a little bit, talk about her photography and talk about uh, getting her first Leica camera. So that's going to be great. And then uh, lastly, uh, right now we have lined up uh, David Bickley. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to be uh, yet. David and I have been going back and forth on a potential topic or, or a series of topics. Uh, David is a Leica ambassador and academy instructor at the Leica DC store. And uh, I'm really excited that uh, David and I have had dozens of emails about uh, some stuff that I'm actually going to talk about on today's episode. This is going to be uh, this is going to be interesting. I have a lot to share, and uh, it's kind of kind of emotional. So stay tuned. So I hope that if you've listened to these episodes, uh, the one thing that you could say about me is that I'm honest and transparent and uh, that I share maybe to the 
you know, to a fault. I tend to overshare a little bit, but uh, this podcast is as much therapy for me as it is supposed to be entertainment for you. So it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, tune in or don't. But uh, at any rate, uh, I hope that this uh, is something that you, you, you understand about this podcast is that I tend to be pretty straightforward about some of the challenges that I face, the feelings that I have, and um, maybe some topics that are a little bit, um, I don't want to say taboo, but you know, things that people don't really talk about, like, like mental health, depression, things of that nature. So I had, uh, I've had an interesting couple weeks photographically, or should I say maybe camera wise. And, uh, it has been a, a huge challenge. And uh, before I get into the, the details of what's been going on the last couple of weeks, I want to back up and talk about some things that have happened to me uh, in the in the past, in the far past. It was a long time ago. Um, don't really want to even think it through too much about when exactly the day was. But um, my wife and I, well before Leo was born, my son, uh, he's 11 now. So this is, it's probably 15, 16 years ago. We had a eight-day trip planned in Ontario. We were going to go to Toronto for a few days. Uh, we were going to go uh, up north to go to Algonquin and, and some really cool natural areas and do a lot of bike riding. So at the time we were both into cycling. Um, we had purchased a couple of new road bikes and that was just going to be a great trip. The first day we went to Toronto and uh, we went to some cafes, went to some cool places, got a nice place to stay. And we thought, well, let's go downtown and go for uh, a long ride. And we went for a long ride along the river walk and that. The following morning, uh, Maura wanted to lay low a little bit and go to a coffee shop. And I thought, well, I'm pretty excited to go for a bike ride. So I'm going to go for a spin on my own. And uh, Maura is going to uh, hang out at this cafe in Cabbage Town, I think. She did so. I dropped her off. Uh, actually, you know what? I think she dropped me off because she had the car. And I rode uh, down to the waterfront. So if you haven't been to Toronto, uh, it faces uh, Lake Ontario, uh, one of the Great Lakes. And actually, the lake is south of it. And so there's this huge harbor in Toronto, this big long arm, and it's a park. And actually, it's a um, an extension. This peninsula is created by construction spoils a lot, where they would put uh, fill when they're building a new skyscraper, uh, and they would come and add more land, and they would have uh, parkland. This park's grown all the time, so it's this huge breakwater uh, that comes out and creates the the harbor in front of downtown Toronto, and uh, it's a like a, like a regional park. So I decided I'm going to go out there because what kind of views did I have? And I could take some pictures of the skyline from across the uh, across the bay. So I did that. And uh, that is where things kind of went uh, pear-shaped. So it's several miles out to the end of this peninsula. And I, I rode my bike out there to the very, very end and uh, enjoyed the view. And on my way back, uh, there was a a lot of construction debris all over the place. And I did not see a four by four that had fallen off a construction truck that was hauling materials uh, back and forth out to some construction sites on the island, on the peninsula, I should say. And uh, I hit it going full tilt. I mean, really full tilt, probably 25, 26 miles an hour. So I hit this four by four when I'm on this road bike and I went way over the handlebars. I went flying. My bike ended up probably um, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was 20 some feet away from me. My helmet was split open. Uh, so was my arm. So was my leg. So was a lot of my body. So I was in really rough shape and there was nobody in this park. It was like super early in the morning. There's nobody around. There were no Rangers, no staff, no anybody. I had a struggle getting back to the mainland. Uh, at the time, if you've ever had an accident like that and, um, you, you just don't realize that, you're hurt as bad as you are. It takes a while for it to sink in that you've really done something very damaging to yourself. And that was no different for me. So I was in denial because we, this is the, you know, the first full day of this vacation we'd been looking forward to for months at the time. We did not have a lot of money. 
um, and we were just really excited about this trip. So uh, Mora is in the uh, the coffee shop in town. Uh, we did have cell phones, of course. I mean, this is post cell phone, but cell phones were not like they are now. You know, there was no texting, uh, really, uh, tons of texting anyway, and uh, cell phones were not as good as they were. And we're in Canada, so I wasn't able to get a hold of her, uh, trying to call her uh, from where I was at. So I uh, decided I was going to have to ride back. Well, my handlebars were bent, the wheels were bent, the the bike was cracked in a couple places. It was just in really bad shape. Uh, but I got on there and I started riding back, just wobbling along, and I couldn't put any weight on anything. My left arm was destroyed. My hand was like not functional. My everything was ballooning up, and uh, I, my shoulder, my my upper arm, everything. It was in really bad condition. My leg hurt. My head was killing me, and my helmet, as I'd said, had been more or less split in half. The plastic outer shell remained kind of connected, but the foam inside was totally destroyed. So this is a pretty heavy-duty accident. Uh, you know, more or less, it was a motorcycle accident. I mean, hey, you're, you're almost going 30 miles an hour on pavement. And uh, I was in a state of shock. And I got about halfway back. And um, about halfway back, I ran into a ranger. And the uh, ranger was excellent. He um, he helped me get help. He uh, gave, made a phone call. He brought in uh, emergency services. They were able to help me get to the hospital. Maura came uh, to the site. She picked me up. And we got to the hospital, and this Canadian hospital was interesting because it was, um, you know, I'm an American at this Canadian hospital, and uh, they have socialized medicine there, and they've got this national health care plan, and they really didn't know what to do with me. So we stayed there for, oh, I don't know, like 12, 14 hours. It was late at night. I had x-rays. I had uh, cognitive tests. They did all kinds of things. Ultimately, they said, you are in pretty bad shape. You have uh, severely damaged your hand, your upper arm. Uh, as it turns out, my radius had been split in half, but not broken in half. It had been split in half, like end to end, like the long way. So that was interesting. And then uh, all the tendons in my hand and a bunch of small bones had been broken. And uh, it was rough. So I had a pretty rough day at the hospital there. And basically what they said was, we don't know what to do with you. You need to go back to the United States. So here it is, the first day of our vacation, and we go back to the United States. And uh, the very next morning, we drove through the night, and the next morning went straight to an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, the hospital in Toronto had just kind of put a splint and a really rough um, brace on me, and they said, oh, my God, we really got to do something with you. So uh, at the uh, orthopedic surgeon in the States, they, they patched me up pretty good. I ended up having a surgery, like a pretty serious surgery, about a week later. Um, but uh, ultimately I regained function in my left arm. And, uh, even so now today, it's not, it's not great, but it's, um, it's back. Uh, the, the lasting legacy was something that I didn't know right away. And it was that, um, I'd had, uh, likely a concussion, but on top of that, I injured, uh, some of the muscles that control my left eye. And, uh, apparently this is something that can happen. So it damaged, uh, if you're not familiar, you know, you've got muscles all around your eye that, um, work against each other so that you're, you know, you can turn it left, turn it right, just like any muscle in your body. So the, um, one of the muscles, I believe it would be the muscle that is on the bottom of your eye that kind of holds it on the horizon, uh, versus the muscle on the top had been damaged. And so it was being overpowered by the muscle on top of my eye. So my, I wanted to wander north more or less, especially when I turned my gaze to my right. So my left eye could no longer um, stay in binocular vision with my right eye. But this took a long time to develop. It wasn't like overnight. It took months and months and it got worse and worse and worse. And I just thought, well, 
you know, my eyesight is going or something. I didn't make that connection right away. And uh, I ended up going to some experts where I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they, you know, took a look at me and they said, well, you know, maybe we could do a surgery or something, but it could be extremely dangerous and risky and it might not even work. And then uh, they had said, well, maybe prism glasses would help you. But in the end, they decided not to do prism glasses. So they um, they said, I don't think that would work. So I went years like this, getting headaches, double vision because my eyes wouldn't be together. And it was a struggle. And I am a left eye dominant photographer. So when I close my right eye, my left eye works okay. But when I have both eyes open, that left eye can kind of drift around. But I have uh, now, years later, I ended up uh, working with a... Uh, a vision expert here in Bay City where I now live and they did prescribe prism glasses and uh, they work great actually and uh, I don't know why the uh, doctor in Ann Arbor didn't want to work with me on that but maybe uh, things had changed subsequent to to when the injury had occurred so at any rate uh, they got me into a pair of glasses that um, thankfully because of modern glasses and the way they work when you look at me it doesn't look like I'm wearing gigantic uh, you know Rick Moranis and Ghostbusters coke bottle glasses but um, they are a, a super heavy and weird prescription in my left eye and I can't function without them if I take them off everything is double vision I can't even walk straight so I got glasses on all the time and uh, just to keep where I have singular vision like binocular vision otherwise my left eye is roaming all over the place so thankfully these glasses really work but the problem is is like now I'm a left eye dominant shooter using a rangefinder camera when the M10T comes I'm all excited about it and I am trying to use my left eye well if you've used an M camera uh, any rangefinder camera honestly you know they're really designed for a right eye dominant shooter and most photographers are most people are right eye dominant so here I am left eye dominant and I have this disability in my left eye and I have this gigantic Coke bottle glass there. So as it turns out, my eye is just too far away from the, uh, from the, the, the diopter. So I can't see the whole frame, even with a 50 millimeter lens, I couldn't quite see the outer edges of the frame lines for 50 millimeter. And, uh, it was, and I'm smashing my nose against the back of the camera and I uh, just, super awkward. So it was a struggle and I struggled and struggled and I'm taking photographs that I think look good as I take them. And of course this is the M10D. So this is this like uppity purist camera that I'm all excited about. And, um, I get home and the pictures are not that good. So, I mean, focus was kind of all over the place. Um, I could get focus, but I'm taking way too much time to do so. I, uh, had to start thinking about accepting my limitations and uh, now this started to like make my heart race because this is an extremely expensive camera for me uh, for a lot of people for most people and uh, I had invested all this uh, resource in there and uh, you know here I am with this camera and it's used too this isn't new and also I'd had it for I worked on it for a couple of weeks uh, which is beyond the return period for a Leica store and most retailers I would I would imagine and, uh, you know, here I am with this used camera. I'd been using it for a couple of weeks and I am just heartbroken because this was my dream camera. And I just wanted to be that guy, that guy that shoots with an M10D and everybody says, man, you know, with a glint in their eye, they, they look over the horizon and they say, man, that guy really knows how to take a photograph. You know, look at that M10D he shoots, man. He's so cool. But I couldn't shoot it. And uh, it's funny because the limitations of the M10D are that you don't have the screen, you can't chimp, you can't check your exposure, you just got to know what you're doing. And um, like exposure wise, I was doing okay, but I could not use that, that M rangefinder focusing system. So I got a hold of David and I said, David, I am struggling. I need some tips. I need some help. And David is awesome at Leica DC. He said, well, first of all, we just want you to be happy. And, you know, I kind of told him my story and maybe we can talk about his story a little bit uh, if when I get him on here. But he had mentioned that he could really, um, you know, empathize with my plight because uh, he had 
uh, something somewhat similar um, happened to him with uh, with an accident, and then some some limitations with uh, learning learning a guitar, or learning how to play the guitar because he had a guitar that uh, had some issues with intonation and things like that. So, um, you know, when he thought he was doing it right, it just didn't sound right, and ultimately, some of it was that the equipment was not matched to to what he was um, what he was capable of doing. Um, so when he got the right tool for the job, uh, things improved. So I've been photographing for 20 years. It's not like I don't know how to take a picture or get a proper exposure, but this camera and I were just fighting and I'm carrying it around like this precious little thing and um, I can't take a great picture with it. So I'm heartbroken. Like, I mean, really heartbroken, way too heartbroken. Um, I was just listening to uh, the another Neil James podcast where he's interviewing uh, Daniel Milner and Daniel Milner is talking about that, um, you know, the photographers that basically say that uh, a camera is just a tool, you know, that, well, I don't know. But if you love your camera, it can be um, it can be more than just a tool. And that's that's what's really neat, especially about our special little brand Leica, is that it is more than just a tool. You can certainly get sharp photos and proper exposures with other cameras, but that uh, the intrinsic quality and the vibe and the feel and the, the whole sensation of using a Leica is something that we, we lust after. And uh, the quality of those images and the way that they look is just something that we really want to want to have in our corner. Well, I finally found out uh, in my first real experience of having an M camera, an M10, I couldn't use it. So the the halo camera of our storied brand was uh, something inaccessible to me because of you know a, a physiological limitation uh, that I was not able to uh, to do. So you know Daniel Milner was talking about on Neil's podcast that hey you know you you can love your camera and that's okay and i loved this camera and i wanted to be that photographer that that shot an m10d like i said it defined defined me but uh, it was not meant to be. So it was a bitter pill to swallow. But thankfully, uh, after going through all the options, like adding a Visoflex, which seemed like an option for a while, a Visoflex is an electronic viewfinder you can put in the hot shoe of an M camera. But it also seemed kind of like, well, why do you have an M10D with no screen if you're going to spend all this money on a small electronic viewfinder? And then it's basically a manual focus Q2 in a way or Q. Uh, I mean, really, when you have this, um, have the viewfinder on there um, and you don't have the screen on the back, but now you got the screen on the top. So it just seemed like that didn't seem right to me. That wasn't what I was going to do. It's like if I'm going to have a camera with a screen, I, I really wish I'd had an SL2 because uh, of the versatility because you can put M lenses on it and all that. And I kind of uh, mentioned that to David and he said, you know what? He's like, send back the the m10d we'll take a look at it if everything's good we'll give you full credit back towards an sl2 if that's what you want to do and we'll get you uh, an m adapter l so you can put that 50 millimeter sumacron that you bought right on there so that is ultimately what i did so <laughs> i ended up getting the sl2 on friday thank you david and the m10d is history I had to accept the fact that I had this physiological, you know, this physical limitation that prevented me from from defining myself as an M photographer. So here I am uh, aspiring to do a podcast about Leica and talking with Leica photographers and Leica files all over the world. And I'm not able to use a rangefinder. Uh, I just couldn't do it. I've had to really, it's funny because it really shouldn't matter, right? It, you know, like, like a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the camera is just a tool. Well, it is and it isn't. It's, um, I love my cameras. And I think that if you're, if you're spending the kind of resources that are necessary to put a Leica in your bag, it, you care about the camera. I mean, don't tell me that you don't. Certainly they have uh, extraordinary quality and, and there's a lot of reasons why, like practical reasons why, even though they are costly, uh, there is certainly, uh, as we've mentioned in previous expos, there's there's actually a value proposition for buying something as 
indestructible and powerful as some of the Leica cameras uh, that are in the line these days. And um, you're not going to have to replace them. You're not going to have to, you know, upgrade every two years, etc. But for me, that Halo camera, the M10, it was just not going to happen. So I, I swallowed hard and I got the SL2. I really wrestled with that decision, uh, but I ended up with it. And uh, I spent the weekend shooting with it. I, we went camping with some friends. Uh, and, um, I shot just a bunch of photos, uh, dark light, whatever, you know, and, and the great thing is, is that you have this 5 million dot incredible electronic viewfinder that is, that is immersive in this cameras. And also the viewfinder, the EVF is recessed off the back of the camera. Like, I mean, like good, like it's almost like three quarters of an inch. The thing sticks off the back with this huge rubber eye cup. And so when you put it up flat to my glasses, uh, because of my nose and because the diopter and the, the, the eyepiece is so uh, flat on the back of an M camera, you're kind of, when you're a left eye shooter, you're sort of tilting your nose off to the right and smashing your face against the back of the camera. Well, when you have a Coke bottle glasses, you know, that it's on an angle. Like I'm not getting that camera lens or that camera diopter flush with the uh, lens of my glasses. So I'm looking off to the side on a weird oblique angle through this Coke bottle lens that's designed for correcting um, issues with binocular vision, this prism. So I think that's what was causing it because honestly, like the rangefinder patches, when they would match up for focus, it was like they weren't square to one another. The, the one on the right would come down on a weird angle. So I would have, even if the, the rangefinder patch is perfectly matched up, some of the lines in the focus, it's like they would be crisscrossed. It was strange. So it was, it was sort of a guess as to whether or not I was in focus. So I tried everything. I was like, well, I'm going to try to not use my glasses uh, when I shoot and just close my right eye. Well, that was a disaster because I'm getting a headache uh, three minutes down the road and I feel dizzy. Which is another thing, because I have another stupid condition, which is called Meniere's disease uh, that I've been battling for about 20 years. Meniere's disease is not, you know, not a, not a life-threatening illness or anything like that. It's just a an unknown uh, something with unknown causes. It's an inner ear deficiency that causes vertigo and balance issues. So sometimes I get dizzy from that. So the last thing somebody who gets dizzy all the time wants is to add another level of something in front of their face that uh, makes them dizzy. So uh, putting a weird, you know, camera viewfinder in there that is uh, giving me, giving me fits or my big old Coke bottle glasses. So those things together were just conspiring uh, against me and, um, it all had to go with the SL2. I can just put this thing right up to my eye and it's like a jumbotron in there and using focus peaking with the, the M adapter L on the 50 millimeter, uh, M Sumacron. Um, it's, it's amazing, honestly. And I love the image quality. It looks like an M camera photograph, but with the 47 megapixels of the SL2, pretty incredible. So I was, um, very, very happy with that. Yeah, I don't know. That's my little tale of woe. I think sometimes we just have to uh, accept our limitations. There's nothing I could do about this. I can't uh, fix my vision. I can't fix my need for these glasses. And I can't fix the design of a rangefinder, nor would I want to. As it stands, here I am. Uh, and I am fully committed to doing this Leica-centric podcast. Uh, but I'm not able to shoot uh, Leica's Halo M cameras. So uh, what we're going to have to do is have you guys come on and I can live vicariously through you. But that being said, uh, the SL2 is one hell of a consolation prize. So why don't we talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the shooting experience of the SL2, okay? Let's jump into that.
So the SL2 is no joke. Um, when I got the thing, you know, I had in my mind that it was going to feel like the Z6. I, I've held a, an SL2 before and an SL. Uh, I knew that the SL2 was a little more ergonomic and that, but I mean, I, I had just fleeting moments with it at uh, a Leica um, retailer in Canada and uh, checked it out. I didn't get a chance to shoot with it. I was just able to hold it, take a look at it and say, wow, this is pretty amazing. But at the time, I didn't even have um, any concept that I was going to own something like that in the future, let alone that with one of, um, you know, Leica's beautiful M lenses. So I uh, just kind of put it out of my head. So I really didn't know, honestly, what to expect. And I hadn't played around with the menus. I hadn't done any of that stuff. And uh, it was when I saw the SL2 last year, um, or, you know, right right after it came out, it was uh, just just a very short time after I acquired my Q2. So, and it was before the Q2 had the kind of cool new SL2 style menus uh, that it does now after the uh, the most recent updates, firmware updates on the Q2. So I wasn't even used to the um, the interface, like the, the shooter interface on the back of the SL2. I didn't know what to do with it when I saw it. So I just kind of looked at the viewfinder a couple times, held it and said, man, this is a beautiful, heavy uh, little camera. And I gave it back to the guy. So when I got it the other day, I was <laughs> really impressed with the darn thing. Uh, if you haven't seen like an unboxing video of the SL2, it doesn't have the like dresser drawers and the fancy um, box that you get with the Q2 or the M cameras. It's just a much more kind of stoic, utilitarian, big black box. And uh, it just has SL and huge letters on the side. And you can tell that the approach is less about the spirit and the um, the, the, the vibe and the heritage and all that of the Leica brand, although those things are baked into the SL2. You can just tell that with this camera, they were making a professional's tool. I mean, this camera is designed to be a professional shooter's everyday camera. It is a very powerful camera. And I even read something about it recently where they talked about in uh, the LFI magazine, uh, which, by the way, if you don't get LFI magazine, um, you need to. I'll link in the description, LFI magazine, like a photography international. Um, you got to get that magazine. But in the most recent issue, they were talking about how um, just something that we had kind of alluded to or I alluded to in a previous episode that uh, like a adds enough capacity, hardware capacity into a camera when it's out so that when the software technology catches up with it, they can actually have capacity inside that camera to do firmware updates that give it uh, incredible new features. So that multi-shot feature is uh, in the firmware update right now of the SL2, for instance. So it went from not being able to do it to now it can do it and take a 182 megapixel image by stitching together a bunch of other images. So they um, were just talking about this is a professional's camera. This is a, a, a camera with tons of capacity, uh, weather resistance, all these things. We've talked about it on a previous episode, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big old mirrorless camera. It's a little bit bigger than uh, the, the Nikon Z series. I, I'd say actually quite a bit bigger uh, in hand. It's much chunkier in that, but it is extremely ergonomic. It, it, it's fantastic to shoot. It's got a great shutter sound that is, it's kind of M10P-ish, um, but it's uh, it's got a little bit more volume, a little bit more kind of mechanical oomph in it, uh, but uh, it's pretty nice. The M adapter L is a really sharp, um, like everything else, just this like beautifully machined little coupler that you snap on there. And then you put your M lens right on there. And I was worried that the uh, 50 Sumicron N M might look a little, um, little too small on there, but it doesn't, it looks neat. It looks, uh, it looks kind of like a little cinema camera or something. I don't know, but it, uh, it looks great. And, uh, shooting with focus peaking is a dream. You can uh, adjust the focus peaking on that thing. I use focus peaking all the time on the Q2 because I shoot manual on that uh, manual focus on that all the time. I just like it. I kind of prefer it to uh, autofocus. Uh, so if I can uh, and I've got the time and I've I've got the situation or my hands are free, 
then I'll use a manual focus with focus peaking on there and it works great. And uh, focus peaking on the SL2 is no different, especially with that incredible viewfinder. The The viewfinder is like double the resolution of most of its competitors. And if you put on the 120 uh, frames per second refresh rate, it, the battery drains down just slightly quicker, I guess, but I didn't notice that. Um, but the um, when you're panning the camera around with a refresh rate of 120 frames a second, 120 times a second, it's refreshing that screen. You don't even notice uh, that it's not an optical viewfinder. It is, it is that clear, that sharp and that immersive and that, um, that fast. So it's really better than I thought. And the back screen is, uh, wow, is it got sharp resolution and contrast. I mean, it's, it's almost as good as looking at your retina screen on a, on a MacBook. So it's, um, you really do get a good impression of like what the photographs look like that you're taking as you're taking them. So it's exceptional. I mean, you can see where like, yeah, this is a professional's tool. It leaves nothing to the imagination. You can customize everything. All the buttons are unlabeled except for the three buttons on the back that are kind of in the new M and Q uh, design language and CL I suppose to where they've got the three little buttons on the side and the screen and that's it but the the SL2 has got this amazing uh, click wheel that you can punch down and it's a button uh, so you can have two functions on that wheel it also has a uh, joystick that you can also punch down so you can use that for a variety of different things and customize that it's got two custom buttons on the top it's got two custom buttons on the front of the camera where your fingers that are wrapped around the grip they can punch them uh, and then you've got uh, an editable function button on the very back uh, and then you even have a, uh, a button for the uh, adjusting the viewfinder sensitivity in that and uh, you can you can customize all these things and then there's a, uh, a wheel on the top that is also customizable so it's it's amazing you can really set this thing up and honestly I haven't had enough time to do so so I got the camera an hour before we went on this camping trip and uh, off we went so then I kind of wrestled with a little bit we were hosting people uh, for this camping trip so I had to kind of you know pay attention to my guests and all that but I wanted to grab the camera whenever I could take a few pictures and I uh, had some luck got some really neat pictures and one of the things that I think um, is really telling the tale is that I struggled with the M10D for you know two weeks and I don't think that I really took a single picture uh, maybe a couple that I really like but it was so difficult to to get my my photographs right because I couldn't quite see the frame lines I kept cutting things off. Like you've ever had like a great photo of a person doing something dynamic and one of their feet is cut off in a weird way. It ruins the photo. Um, I had a few weird composition things like that just because of my own limitations on the SL2. That's not going to be a problem because of that beautiful viewfinder, the way it's recessed and how it fits my face and I can use it with left eye. I can look straight through my lenses and my glasses and it's perfect. My advice to you is that if you do have any kind of vision impairment that's related to binocular vision, like, so you got a kind of a wandering eye or anything like that. Um, if that's going to be an issue for you, you definitely try these things out. And if you've never shot an M10 camera for an M camera of any kind, and you're not sure if rangefinder focusing is for you, um, make sure you get an opportunity to check one out. I really never had more than a few minutes with one here and there. And so then when I had one at home and I could spend all the time with it, it was just like, I can't believe that I can't use this, this thing, this beautiful camera. I can't use it. So the good news is, is that somebody else is, uh, you know, right now going to be able to pull the trigger on a perfect, uh, used M10D at like a DC. So if you're in the market, for a like M10D and uh, you're looking for a great price on a used one, I can attest to the fact that there is nothing wrong with that camera. It is perfect. And uh, now it's back in the hands of like a DC. So give them a look up and uh, ask David uh, to, uh, to tell you all about it and uh, tell him that I sent you. 
but the SL2, it's uh, it's amazing. It's a little bit bigger than I kind of thought. Uh, once you have it, I had to adjust my camera bag a little bit, um, but I'm really really happy with it. It's um, it's it's heavy. Uh, it is really heavy. You know, there's no plastic in it. The viewfinder, they say it's all glass. Of course, the whole body is metal. The the M lenses are relatively heavy because it's all metal. Um, so this thing is a substantial camera uh, and it uh, it feels like it in your hands but the cool thing is that with the uh, image stabilization uh, and with the weight of it uh, I had no problem shooting down to like a fifth of a second and no problem at all uh, you can really go with slow shutter speeds and get that stability and take some good photos and so uh, I was able to get some really cool low light photos I'll throw uh, so these are not award-winning photos by any means but they are photos of me and my friends uh, camping I will throw those up on my website so if you go to uh, ZacharyBranigan.com, that's Z-A-C C-H-A-R-Y-B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N, ZacharyBranigan.com. There'll be a link in the description of this episode. You can click on it, and then you can look at the uh, podcast portfolio or the podcast images, and there'll be something about this episode. You can click on that uh, portfolio, and I'll put a bunch of photos that I took with the SL2. Uh, but keep in mind, these are photos I took in the first 36 hours of having the thing. I didn't really know. I, nothing is set up. I just shot everything manual. Nothing is customized in it yet. Uh, I'm recording this right now while it's really raw, and I'm just putting that out there. So. Uh, but yeah, dreamy. I'll tell you all about it uh, as I learn more about it. But so far, so good. I'm really stoked. Let's get into uh, kind of a couple last things and then uh, we can put this episode to bed. Eh? All right. Okay, so I just wanted to remind everybody, please uh, do me a favor and uh, jump on my Instagram and uh, follow me on there at ZG Brannigan. If you want to communicate, uh, do that and then send me a request for a message if I'm not following you uh, or send me an email at zgbrannigan at gmail.com. Tell me your story. Do you have an M camera? Have you had trouble with range finder focusing? Do you have any physical limitations that prevent you from photographing the way that you want to photograph? Uh, I would be interested to find out if I'm the only person that had this problem. Um, what camera do you shoot? Uh, are you shooting like, are you not shooting like, a, I don't know. I am interested in meeting more of you. So some of the most rewarding things that have happened uh, in this podcast experience so far are the emails that I get from, from folks that have now become my virtual friends. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting some of them on here with this road. Uh, I don't know what's it called. Road pro cat. I don't know. Roadcaster Pro. Um, I'm going to be able to plug people into this and make phone calls, and that's going to be sweet. So we're going to we're going to try that in the next few episodes and see how that goes. But um, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, that would be great. Um, if you want to just leave a note with a question, uh, this is something that uh, one of my other favorite podcasts uh, called The Gray NATO they do. I'd like to invite you to do this as well. Feel free to use your voice memo on your iPhone or or your Android device and just record a question uh, in your own language, saying, you know, hey, I'm interested in x y and z is it something that uh, you could discuss etc and then uh send it to me you could just email me that file you know after you're done just hit share and then uh email and send it to zgbrannigan at gmail.com and uh if it works out i will put it on the air uh, you know a few episodes down the road um also if you're interested in actually being on the show um i'm interested in having you as a guest uh, i want to talk to you guys this is a podcast that's going to be all about community uh, as a recall, uh, the, the mission of this podcast is that uh, I want to ultimately create a community that can generate resources to put more people in Leica cameras that otherwise wouldn't be able to do so on their own. 
Uh, I've gotten some great ideas from a few of you already, and I'm saving those up because I'm going to have an episode, probably three, four episodes down the road, where we're going to talk all about this, uh, this idea, this scheme. Um, the podcast is growing. We're getting a lot more uh, listens. So please, uh, there are a couple things that you can do to to help this grow. Uh, so if we want to see some more guests on here, we want to learn more about like equipment, we want to get into uh, some really interesting topics, have some interviews, uh, get more listeners on here and get a little more traction so that we can actually uh, bring this vision to life and maybe help some people get into like a cameras that, uh, that otherwise couldn't. Do me a favor, please leave me a review, uh, a positive review, uh, hopefully. And if not, uh, if you do have something incredibly negative to say, um, well, that's your right. But uh, maybe send me an email about that and we can talk about it and I can try to fix it for you. But uh, I'm going to do my best. Again, I'm an amateur at this uh, and I am by no means an expert in Leica cameras. I'm just a fan. I'm a super fan. So I'm eager to have uh, David Bickley from the Leica DC store on here because he's an expert. He is an award-winning photographer and he is a, a photographer who... Uh, has an incredible philosophy on uh, on photography and creativity and that. So I think he's going to be a great fit. Not to mention the fact that he's a Leica Academy instructor and he's a Leica ambassador. So that'll that'll be a good match, I think. Somebody who's a super fan like me, uh, who knows uh, just enough to be dangerous, and um, then somebody like him that, that knows all, uh, basically. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Please send me an email. Please send me a text uh, message. Uh, please send me a private message on Instagram. Uh, follow us along there. And uh, we are going to build this community. I'm telling you, at some point, we are going to build a community where we're going to have enough listeners and enough reach where we can uh, get a community together to, to raise resources to, to help applicants, I guess, or however we're going to go about it, uh, get into get into a Leica camera. So um, I'm talking about um, putting together something where maybe we could have a, a little matching grant, you know, that last $500 or something that somebody needs to get over the hump. Um, I'm eager to hear uh, Taylor's story as well and uh, how she's doing. I know that she's working overtime like crazy as a paramedic uh, down there, uh, down, down there in the Southern United States. Uh, and she's, um, she's getting those resources together by, by working, uh, working overtime. So good for her. She keeps uh, putting on Instagram that she's only, uh, you know, I'm one month away. I'm, I'm a few weeks away. So that's good. I can't wait to hear her story and uh, have her tell us firsthand what it was like to do that unboxing and what it's like to, to shoot that camera. So I'm stoked. Um, at any rate, uh, that's all I got for today. Uh, I just wanted to share my tale of woe, uh, be pretty raw and honest with you. This is just a straight edit. I'm just putting this right out and uh, hopefully it sounds okay. Uh, and, uh, we're going to do so with this, uh, this new technology and, uh, see how that works out. So I will say that this made things, uh, monitoring levels and, uh, bringing in extra music a, a little bit easier. So if you like this, please let me know. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see more uh, positive Apple reviews pop up. I think there's like nine ratings on there and they're all five stars right now, which is great. Uh, but if you, if you have it in your heart to do that, please do so. Please like it. Uh, and, uh, please subscribe and please tell your friends. We're going to uh, we're going to wrap this baby up and uh, I'm going to talk to you guys soon. I'll have another episode uh, hopefully a week from now. Thanks a lot. Bye guys. This has been another episode of the Like a New Day podcast. Like a New Day is brought to you by me, Zachary Brannigan. You can find me online at ZacharyBrannigan.com. You can also find me on Instagram at at Z-G-B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N. That's at Z-G-Brannigan. Music was provided by Epidemic Sound, and this is another episode of the Like a New Day podcast. Please feel free to reach out to me via email at ZGBrannigan at gmail.com or send me a private message on Instagram, but please give me a follow there. I love 
connecting with all of you out in the community. And uh, thanks very much for listening. And I'm looking forward to the next one. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. So what do you think? Should I do like uh, after credits scenes sometimes? Uh, I had a concept that maybe I would do that a couple times. So I don't know if you hung on this long. Congratulations. You win absolutely nothing. But uh, hey, you hung on this long and good for you. Let me know if you hung on this long. I'd be interested to find out. Take care. Bye.